You're listening to The Community Exchange, a new podcast run by members of Asian and Pacific Islander Wellness Center's capacity building team. Each month, we will be talking with our staff, activists, community members, medical professionals, and other individuals on a variety of different topics. Our capacity building work is supported by funding from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Division of HIV AIDS Prevention. The views expressed here are those of the speakers and do not represent the official views of AMPI Wellness Center or the CDC. Hello, and welcome back to Community Exchange. My name is Ben Ignolino, and I am the Programs Manager at the Asian and Pacific Islander Wellness Center in San Francisco, California. I'd like to introduce today's speaker. Welcome, Trish. Hi, Ben. How's it going? It's great. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to be a part of this incredible podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Before we start, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am uh, 28 years old. I'm from San Diego, California, and one of my hobbies is I love photography, and I love art, and I love to just travel and see the world, and I'm a trans woman. Okay, so you identify in the trans spectrum then? Yes. Okay. So today, listeners, we're going to talk about one of the topics that is really not spoken about in the transgender community. After speaking with Trish and really talking about what does she want to really speak on, she came up to the idea of speaking on what passing or passability is. And so thank you so much, Trish, for really bringing some light to this topic that people really are interested in knowing about. So can you just kind of tell me what does passing mean in your understanding? So passing to me means being read as the gender that you present as. So if a person is presenting as a woman and they're read as a woman by society, then they are passing as a woman. Okay. So that's what passing is. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more like... Tell, tell us a little bit more about your, your upbringing. So, let's see. I grew up in San Diego. I grew up in a Vietnamese household, and it was quite strict. And so I knew that I was feminine from a very young age. And growing up in the 90s, it was very hard to be who I really was due to social stigma. So I didn't actually transition until I was 20 while I was in college. And at that time, when I first started transitioning, I didn't pass it off. I got the weird look, and it was very difficult to live at that time. So a lot of times I would just be in my room a lot, and it was a very tough time for me. And then as time went by, I started learning how to wear makeup and to and I start learning how to dress myself in female attire. And as time went by, I started to pass more and more. And I became more comfortable in my own skin. And I started being read as female more and more as time went by. So in the beginning, I thought that I needed a lot of plastic surgery. I thought that I needed facial feminization surgery. I thought I needed breast implants. I thought I needed FRS. I thought I needed everything. But now that eight years have passed, I feel like like I can just 
be myself more, and uh, I don't care too much about passing. And if somebody reads me as being trans, I don't really care as much. I mean, I still care somewhat, but it's just with age, you become more confident. And so, but I know that for a lot of people, passing is everything because it can mean having a good job versus being unemployed. It could mean living a more normal life as opposed to being shunned by society. And even with passing, you can still face a lot of adversity as well when people look you up because nowadays with the internet, anybody can do a background check on you and they can find out who you are and your past. So even if you do physically pass, it's really hard to bury all that paperwork from the past and to just start anew, I guess. Do you feel like passing is useful to some that are living in the trans spectrum and living the trans experience? I feel like it is probably top priority for me. For, for you? Me, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean for most, I think also for most trans people. And I think that for me, it's allowed me to go out and hang out with my friends and not be judged too much. I can kind of go out on like a Friday night and go to a bar or go to a nightclub, you know, in downtown San Diego, and I can have fun, whereas somebody who doesn't have those experiences, they might have to stay at home. And I know that sounds really sad, but for years, when I thought I didn't have, that's what I would do, I would just stay at home. So as far as employment goes, I would say that you are accepted more easily if you pass, but when people do a background check on you, like I said before, they can find out, you know, what your name was previously, and there can be gossip at work, and people can be nice to your face, but, you know, I've heard things that people have said about me, whispering or whatever, and, you know, it's it's not uncommon for that to happen, so... I mean, I think that times are changing, and recently, maybe 2014, 2015, it's when I started hearing more about the transgender movement and with um, more trans people being more visible. So I think hopefully things will get a lot better because when I first started transitioning, the laws were very different. Trisha, I have a question because passing means so many different things to so many different people. In your idea, I mean, we got the, the, the definition of it, but what do you feel really defines a, a, an individual's passing? What, in, what actually defines your ability to say, I am passable? Well, passing means that you are read consistently. So for me, it means that I look feminine. It means that... When I leave the house, you know, I have, you know, my makeup done, I have my hair done, I have on clothes that are, that accentuate my femininity. And so I think for trans women, it's more work than non-trans women. So it can be fun to do all of that. But sometimes I feel like it's kind of a burden in a way because it's like I look at other women and they just kind of wake up and they kind of, they can be very minimalistic and they can leave the house. But for trans women, I think we have to try so much harder to look presentable because we have to 
twelve extra miles, I guess. Okay. To, to look to look good because and, and it makes everything really shallow in a way, but it's like survival. It's like why should I have to care so much about how I look? But I have to. My question to you is, you know, you talked about transitioning while you were um, in college. I mean, what? How did you research? How do you do makeup, and how did you research what would fit best for you? So in college, I went to Sephora and I asked the people at Sephora, "How how do I put on lashes? How do I, you know, find the right foundation?" And as far as internet research, um, I use social media. I use YouTube. They have a lot of videos on how to do makeup. Okay. And a lot of times, like the YouTube guru, makeup gurus, they would kind of do very elaborate looks. And that, I think, for me, was kind of, I don't know, that was kind of misleading in a way because most women do not do very elaborate looks for every day. Yeah. Most women wear very minimal makeup. But on YouTube, they like to be more colorful because they they want to become popular, so they want to get you. So so I was doing makeup, and I looked over, over the top, but over time I learned to tone it down. As far as hormones, at the time, I think the law was more strict. I think you had to definitely see a therapist, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, get a letter of recommendation, and, and, then, and then you can go and see an endocrinologist and get hormones and... You know, being young, that's very overwhelming. Like, everything is very overwhelming, especially when you have to go to school and get, you know, your degree and you have to take four or five classes and it's just, it's a lot. And so I kind of was doing more like, I was just in like more of the research phase while I was in college. And then I put off transitioning a little bit like I would do I would just kind of try to finish school and then once I graduated that was when I had more free time to pursue like laser hair removal or to pursue you know going to work and and saving up money for transition costs so you talked a little bit about your makeup routine when you first started what how, how long did that take you compared to what you do now so when I first started it would take me like an hour or two to leave the house and because when you first start you just feel so insecure you don't know how things are going to go you have never navigated society as a woman before so you don't really know like what look is acceptable or not so but now I mean it's maybe 20 minutes if I'm being fancy some days I don't even wear makeup because When you become more comfortable in your skin, you don't really care as much. So I have a question for you. What other struggles do you see or experience outside of passing as a trans woman of color? I think medically, I think that it's very awkward when I go to see the doctor and on the form it says male or female and I have to check one and... Back then, when my legal records weren't changed yet, it made me so nervous to go to the doctor because I, I, I didn't know which box to check. If I checked female, 
I'm going to sit in, in the doctor's office and he's going to ask me or she's going to ask me, so like, when was the last time you've had your period? And then I would have to explain to them that I don't get periods. And then I would have to explain why. And it's just, it's awkward because I'm not, I might just be there for like a skin rash or something, but I have to answer an awkward question, you know, or if I check mail and then I go in there and they see a woman sitting there, they're very confused. And so a lot of times I wouldn't check male or female. I would just hand in the form. And I think what the receptionist would do was um, they would check female because that's what they saw, even though I hadn't changed my records yet. So, but people kind of go with what they see. So I think that as far as the medical community, I think they need to be more inclusive. I think they need to have more boxes to check or they should have like a fill in the blank spot on the form because, I mean, I know that there are so many types of people on the gender spectrum. It's not just transgender women or transgender men. There's also gender non-binary people and there are intersex people as well. So... I just hope that the medical community can be more inclusive of everyone. We completely agree here at the agency, and I think that that's a great point, is that whether or not you are passing or presenting in a specific manner, forms have been a challenge, specifically when you need to access medical care. I completely agree, and I think that that's a point for us to take on is that even though someone is passing, it's still another challenge layered on top of that because now you have this really awkward conversation at times with your provider and having to explain maybe countless times why you've chosen to choose a box or not. So now that you're at a place where you feel comfortable with yourself and that you've loved yourself and it sounds like you're in a place that you've grown. How are relationships for you? As far as relationships goes, I feel like I have made a lot of good friends with a lot of trans people. I think unless we have a very supportive family, I think a lot of times our family is going to be our friends. And with me, I, my closest friends are, are cisgender women, and I love them very dearly because they've kind of helped to socialize me into um, womanhood, I guess. So even though I had always felt feminine, I needed to be around women so that they can kind of teach me the nuances. And, And I've learned a lot just by being around them and watching how they um, express themselves and how they live their lives. And just little things that, you know, you don't really think about before you transition. But once you transition, you start to know it's like that that trans women tend to look at themselves in the mirror a bit longer than cisgender women. Because cisgender women tend to be more secure. So when they're walking by a mirror, they don't tend to look and stare at themselves. Whereas trans women, and I'm guilty of this, I tend to look at myself a bit too long. (laughs) And so, like, just little things like that. What nuances have you learned by surrounding yourself with cisgender women? I feel like cisgender women don't really need so much validation from men. I think transgender women seek out validation from men. 
unless unless they're lesbian, transgender women, women, then it's a different story. But for those of us who are attracted to men, I think there's like a deep need, a deep desire to appear attractive to men, more so than with cisgender women. And so when I see men approach my friends, they have a tendency to kind of, I don't want to sound mean, but they tend to shoo men away because they're not interested. Whereas with me, it's sort of like, oh, like a guy likes me, I feel flattered. Whereas with them, they're not so flattered. They're, they're kind of bothered. And that's something that I've noticed. But just little things like that. Do you socialize in primarily heterosexual settings or where, where is it that you're socializing and, and finding this attraction for men and these interactions with men? So a lot of times when I go out, mostly ever since I've transitioned, I usually hang out with more of my straight friends and I would go out with them to just like regular hot spots for people in their 20s to go hang out at, like, for example, the gas lamp in downtown. That's a popular place. Pacific Beach, that's another popular place. Um, North Park is another popular place. So the way I live my life is pretty much I live my life very similar to a heterosexual woman lifestyle, I guess. So, so when I'm with my friends and I'm just like, I feel like I'm just one of the girls. And so when men approach me, I, I just, you know, I'll flirt a little bit. I'll just have like a small, small talk, small conversations. And then sometimes they'll ask for my number. Sometimes they'll want me to put their number in my phone. But it never really goes anywhere, really, because the inevitable conversation has to happen and... And a lot of times men, the way they um, view transgender women is they sort of see us as like a, like a fetish or like a sexual experimentation. So they either don't want anything to do with me or they want to just see me when like on the down low, like discreetly, because they don't want anybody to know that that's what they are into. So I think most men, from my experience, who approach me, they sort of, they have a lot of hang-ups, and they, they have a lot of insecurities, I would say. Have you, have you held a relationship that you would deem successful as a transgender woman of color? Let's see. I have not had a lot of success in the past, I think, so long as, and I know this sounds kind of, embarrassing but the longest amount of time that I've dated someone was like within three weeks and it was four dates and that's like the most and it's just it's really hard to keep someone because I think the amount of men who are willing to date and to be in public with transgender women it's very it's a very small group of men who I think it's rare for a man to openly be in a relationship with a transgender woman and it's not ashamed of it. Does it matter whether or not they're passing or not? It absolutely matters if 
the woman passes or not, because if a woman passes, then they feel maybe more comfortable taking them out, but they might not take them home to meet their mom or, or dad or their friends, but they might take them out on a couple of dates, you know, but then at some point, maybe they just feel like they can't handle it. So they can't handle, they can't handle the pressure, I think. And I think a lot of them also, I know, I know that a lot of men know of transgender women from like internet pornography. So because of that, they have a lot of misconceptions about real trans women in real life. And so if their only depiction of trans women is from pornography or from, you know, sex work or whatever, when they see someone who is a regular trans woman who is college educated and is just like not doing sex work or anything else like that, I think that um, they just don't know how to communicate with just another human being because they, they just don't know much, I guess. And I know that this is not just an individual thing for me. I know that, like, I use YouTube as a resource, and I look up a lot of transgender YouTube channels, and I see that a lot of trans women face difficulties with dating because there aren't a lot of positive role models or there aren't a lot of positive um, representations of relationships that are of trans experience. I mean, right now, I can't really even think of one or two couples where it's like a man and a trans woman. Like, you, I mean, they're out there, but it's just you don't see it in the public media at all. So it's just it's, it's a very hush-hush kind of secretive thing. I guess the only time that you hear about a man who is with a trans woman is when he's caught. The scandals and these TMZ kind of, like, stories. Yeah, yeah, like when, like, well, I don't want to name names. <laughs> but, you know, it's but, in the um, news as not, as, you know, loving a trans woman is not um, viewed on a public medium. It, it always appears to be very negative. Like, there's something wrong with loving a trans woman in general. And it can't be something thought of as beautiful. When I was growing up, the only depictions that I saw was typically Jerry Springer or mm. the Maury Show, which were very exploitive. And they would bring, you know, on... And, and to me, it looked very staged, where they would manipulate the people who would come on the show and they would fight, and it, it was a mess. <laughs> but I'm not giving up, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do have a yeah, question. Gotta keep on trying. <laughs> I do have a question. So, for listeners, especially if they're young um, trans individuals that are kind of leaning into that choice of I want to really identify something for myself that is not gay, that is not lesbian, that is I want to identify in a different way. What would you tell them? What would you want them to take away from from this podcast about passing and relationships and privilege? Well, I would want them to know that being gay or lesbian is very different from being trans. 
trans is a no a whole a whole nother experience. Being trans is like you're in a whole other reality, and I mean, unless you're both trans and gay, then there's an overlap. But if you're trans and not gay, then it's going to be your your life is going to be you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to write your own script because a lot of times there's no script for you to follow. You're just going to have to do it. I mean, there's also help out there as well. I mean, if you live in a big city, there, there are resources, but a lot of times you just have to be like just taking care of yourself and being responsible for yourself. And if you want to explore your identity, I would say really think about it. And I think a lot of times you kind of know if you're trans or not. Like, you just know. Like, it's like an instinctual, innate quality. You just, you know, I would say to just look within. And I would say let go of society's judgments and, and to just tune that out and to just kind of do a lot of reflection and get to know yourself more. Because I think that when we're always busy, 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 I think we don't get to know ourselves. I think when we're constantly bombarded with everyday life, I think it's kind of it's kind of like we're distracted in a way. So I would say to just have some time to yourself, you know, to discover who you really are. And, res- yeah. and resources like YouTube and Sephora are great places that you found that you could look at to see for yourself what your presentation could look like. Yes, and there's also people like, I think it was Capriya Adams, and she had a website called, I think it was PS Roadmap. And I think I looked on that site, and it was really helpful. I think the other person who helped her with the website, I think her name was Andrea. So there are online resources. I mean, nowadays, you can just look that up very easily. Well, Trish, we are coming to the end and close of this incredibly informative and very personal podcast. And so I'd like to say thank you so much for sharing a part of your life and your, your experiences. We have a lot of listeners of this podcast. And, um, you know, if you could share maybe somewhere they could maybe email you more for more information, maybe have questions for you. Yeah, so you can reach me at n.trish08 at yahoo.com. That's my email. And I would be glad to answer any of your questions regarding transitioning, regarding just needing information okay. and, and resources. Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely ex- really expect that the community exchange is going to have some follow-up individually with our speakers. So again, that's for your listeners listening to, in order to contact Trish, you can email her directly at n.trish08 at yahoo.com. At yahoo.com. Do you have any last moments of reflection um, to end Trish? Do you have last minute thoughts that you'd like to share? Well, I would like to say, once again, thank you so much for having me. I would say you just have to look within yourself to 
have the strength to just keep keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Trish, for speaking with us today. We're going to have resources up on our learning platform as well as you can download this and all of our episodes on iTunes. Tune in next time for our next episode, and I hope all our listeners are having a great day. And Thank you again for listening to the Community Exchange, and with that, I will bid you adieu. Thank you. So thank you all so much for listening. We just heard from Trish. Please stay tuned to the Community Exchange because now we'll be hearing from our next speaker, Polly. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be a part of this. Um, Before we begin talking, can you share with us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'd love to. So my name is Polly Simone. I'm a 30-year-old transgendered woman of color. I have been living my life as trans since I was 17 years old. I started my transition legally when I was 19 with hormone therapy and everything like that. It's been quite a journey. (laughs) I am just a full-time employee. I I'm very possible, um, so I don't have many issues, you know, finding work or anything like that, but I am aware that it is something our girls in our community actually struggle and struggle a lot with. Well, that's great that you're talking about passable and being passable in the community because I feel like that's going to be a really good jump-off point for this podcast and really what our listeners want to know and talk about in their community. So thank you. Now, before we begin talking... Can you give us just a brief overview of what you really want to talk about today? I just really care more about spreading awareness in our community. There are a lot of things that, you know, go on with us as trans women and just the LGBT community altogether that aren't really brought to the light or spoken about. One of the topics in particular that I deal with regularly is trans envy. That is something that's serious (laughs) in our community, and I deal with it actually quite a bit, and I do feel like it's most likely because of how passable I am. I feel it's really shallow to call someone else jealous of you, but when you're upset with someone for nothing, it's kind of hard to not say that it's over jealousy. For those that might not understand the term trans envy, how would you describe trans envy? I would describe trans envy, and when I actually first heard the term, I just thought it was, you know, cisgendered women, and cisgendered is um, something that is used in our community to identify between actual trans women and genetic women, because calling a cisgender woman a genetic woman and me not a genetic woman makes it seem as though I'm artificial, which I'm not. So we like to use that term instead, but cisgendered typically are the ones who have the most trans envy. They get very hostile, I should say, when their boyfriends start to look at trans girls or when they're out and they see trans girls having a group of just men all around them and they're sitting there by themselves with their glass of Chardonnay and their girlfriends and no one's paying them any mind. That's when all of the hateful words and the slurs start to come into play and the drink spilling and vicious cattiness starts to happen. That's something that I've experienced with trans envy. But then there's also a whole other side of it that I wasn't aware of that I'm just now starting to notice, and that's the trans in in our actual community, in the LGBT community, where I would say 
homosexuals and lesbians tend to get very, very jealous over it. And it kind of baffles me because we're family. We're all in this fight together, but we are very quick to tear each other down just because we're not the particular letter group in our community that you would identify with. So gays identifying with gays, bisexuals, bisexuals, lesbians, lesbians, transgender, transgender. It's just very frustrating when a gay male comes up to you at a nightclub and starts telling you how beautiful and fierce you are, and then you let him know that, yes, you're a transgendered woman, you're a part of the family, and all of a sudden it's just nothing but shade. Oh, well, how come you can pull all of these straight dudes and I can't? I have exactly what you have, this, that, and the other. And it's an attraction base. I mean, it's all based off of attraction. If the males that are after me are attracted to women and I pass as a woman, then they're not going to be attracted to you because you're not a woman. You're a man. You have masculine features. You have no feminine features. That's not something that they're going to be attracted to. So the jealousy on that end just kind of shocks me because it's not logical. And then with the lesbian community, I've experienced a lot of the trans envy with what some would call butchy lesbians, very masculine women who are struggling with identity themselves and don't know how to go about the transition or don't know how to stand up for themselves and say, this is what I want to do to make me happy. They then become envious of other trans women who have been able, or trans men for that matter, who have been able to come across and say, hey, I'm comfortable with who I am. This is who I am, and I'm going to live my life this way. I just don't understand why there should be any envy at all. If I can do it, you can do it. There's nothing that's stopping, that stops me. I'm going through the exact same things that you're going through. I have family just like you have family. You know, there are people in my life who don't want this from me, but I want it for myself because it's going to make me happy. Putting yourself first is what's most important in life because it's your life and you only have one. And those are the those are the experiences that I've had with trans envy. And like I had said, I feel like trans envy and passability kind of go hand in hand. You have more people envious of you because of your passability. Whereas if you are not passable, then they don't have anything to be envious of because they feel like they're not being looked at as a freak like you may be being looked at as a freak. And I don't like using that terminology because it's very hurtful. But in reality, that is what's going through people's minds. Do you think that your experiences as a trans woman of color would be different if you weren't able to pass? Like, how would you define passability? How I define passability is basically one's ability to fit in with society in their chosen gender. No one questions my gender. I don't go places and people look twice at me. I have a lot of people who approach me on a regular basis, attempting to get my phone number, trying to quote-unquote holler, but I'm very protective of myself, so I don't allow those people in. Thank you so much for the compliments those type of things. And that is because I am passable and I can be out in society in the gender role that I choose and actually pass. There's another term for it also. It's called stealth. I 
I personally prefer to look at myself as a self-trans woman because it's not something that I hide, but it is something that is unknown. And the girls who don't have those issues, or I'm sorry, who aren't self and aren't passable, they have it a lot worse. And I do feel, yes, if I wasn't as passable as a trans woman of color, it could be much more difficult for me to sustain a job. It could be much more difficult for me to live, to even have a residence. It's really upsetting, actually, to know that I have brothers and sisters in the trans community who have these issues because of the fact that they're not passable. Not everybody has good features. I mean, that's across the board. Not everybody is blessed with an ideal look. But we are all beautiful the way that we were made. And I feel like that is something that really needs to be accepted by society. We shouldn't have to try to conform to anything. My brothers and sisters who aren't passable shouldn't have to feel bad about it. They should still be able to live their lives and be who they are because it's what makes them happy, not because of what anybody else thinks. So yes, it would. I think it would be uh, much more difficult for me to live my life if I was not passable like I am. All of the deaths that have happened thus far this year, I believe we're at 22, which is extreme, which is alarming. And they've even declared it a state of emergency in our community for the deaths and the death toll that we've had so far this year. Now, all of these girls weren't unpassable. There were a handful of them that were passable, but those are the women that were counted. There are always people and bodies that don't come forward, families who don't want and want it in the media that their child was trans, so they leave it as their child being male or their child being female, and they're not identified properly, and that's sad, too. Let's go back to when you were 17 and even before then. As you were developing into your transition, what was that process like? Because here you hit 17 and now you're at a point where you are making the decision saying, hey, this is who I am. This is where I kind of want to move forward to. Like, what did that look like for you? Were you passable then? Were you, how did you identify? Tell us what that looked like. Well, before I was 17, I struggled with identity and sexuality. I wasn't 100% sure what was going on. And this was also like in the late 90s, early 2000s, where there wasn't a lot of education on the topic. So I just viewed myself as a homosexual male. Like that's just, I was told that I was effeminate and I was told that on a regular basis that I was gay and I didn't even know what that meant. And after finding out what it meant and kind of sitting down with myself and trying to figure out what that meant for me, I did start to identify as homosexual just because it was the closest thing. But even after I came out, quote unquote, as gay, I didn't really believe it because I didn't feel like my attraction to men was wrong. And I don't think attraction to men is wrong if you're a homosexual it's all based off of genetics. You are attracted to who you're attracted to because of your genetics. We can't help that. But I never felt like it was wrong because I always felt like I was a girl. And in that, I found and discovered what transgendered was, what transsexual was, um, what transvestites were. I started to research and just try to help myself 
find some kind of acceptance where I didn't feel like I had it or I didn't feel like I fit in with the gay community. Um, once I realized the difference between being gay and being transgendered, I completely started my transition. I conformed to transgender. I started cross-dressing when I was a junior in high school, and by my senior year, I was basically full-fledged trans with prosthetic breasts, wearing bras, wearing girl clothes on a regular basis, makeup, keeping my hair wrapped so it looked like I had something up there, wearing ponytails when my hair actually grew out and I could wear a false um, weaved ponytail. Like, I just, I made my transition because I needed my. I needed to feel good about myself. And from there, the ball has just continued to roll. I did do a lot of outreach and a little bit of activism as a child. I kind of fell off on that because I moved away from my home out to New England. And I think I did that just so that I could test the waters of how stealth I could be. But in reality, I was actually putting myself back in the closet. And once I realized that that is exactly what I did... I needed to come back home to a place where I could truly be myself and truly be proud. And that's where I am now. I'm back at home. I'm getting back into the swing of things, getting back into my activism, starting to go to meetings and do outreach for our community. I had started a talk show with a, with a friend of mine. We are no longer working together, and that talk show has kind of fallen apart. But I am looking to hopefully in the future get that going again because what we were doing was really good. We were spreading awareness on the trans community. We were bringing stories of a transgendered nature to the public, and it's something that's not spoken about very often. And when it is, it's always spoken about in a negative way. Um, so that's what I want to do. I want to continue to move forward spreading positive information about and awareness about the community. My transition was rough. I'd say that I was passable my entire life. I've always looked like a girl. And so that portion of it wasn't rough, but the family portion of it, the friend portion of it, the hiding, the explaining, those portions were difficult. Just to have that weighing on you regularly that, oh my God, someone is going to clock my teeth. Someone is going to know that I didn't tell them that I'm transgendered. Even in dating situations, it can become very scary and definitely a challenge to have to live with that constantly over your head. So you're 17 and you're transitioning. You said from your junior year to your senior year, you now were living full-fledged in the gender that you felt most authentic. So uh, where, like, your family support, where were you finding the support to, to live this? Because, again, you said you, you are a trans woman of color. What community of color do you identify in? I identify in the black community. It was difficult. I come from a very religious background. My mother is a minister, and she wasn't having it. I mean, the, that's the most basic way that I can put it. <laughs> She was not having it. She was not pleased at all. Even with me coming out to her as gay, she was not pleased. And then a few years later, after I moved out and I revealed myself to her as my trans self, she was very, very unhappy. It took my father a while to get used to it. When I came out and told him that I was gay, and this was back when I was like 15, he didn't disown me, but he didn't talk to me for about a good three months. And after that period had passed, he realized 
what he did, and he realized the kind of, kind of what what kind of a detrimental thing that that can be to a child to just lose all contact with their parent. And he came and apologized and made me feel more than loved, explaining to me that I'm his child no matter what, and he's always going to love me. And when I revealed myself to him as transgendered, he had the biggest smile on his face and said that he couldn't imagine it any other way. He always knew that he had three daughters, things like that. So my father was very supportive, and that, for me, was odd because here I am growing up in the black community where homosexuality is extremely negative. It is not something that is embraced at all. And my father is telling me after I'm telling him that I am a trans woman of color, that he couldn't imagine it any other way. So that for me was a huge relief from my father. In terms of friends and things like that, I was fortunate enough to go to a performing arts high school. So I had a lot of gay counterparts and LGBT community members in my school who were there as support systems. I had a lot of LGBT faculty members at my school that were very supportive and helped me to be strong enough to make the transition because it is something that you do have to have a certain amount of strength for. It's difficult to constantly be chastised and for some people brutalized. I know I've heard of stories of girls who are beat up regularly because of their quote unquote decision to live their lives the way that they see fit. And nobody should have to deal with that. It's, it's heart-wrenching to know that there are people who do deal with that. And I, I was very fortunate and I'm very blessed that I didn't bear the brunt end of it as some of my trans sisters do in the community, especially in the black community. There has been, back to the, the death toll of this year on the trans women of color who have passed, they have all been trans women of color, all but one that stands out in my mind. And it's, it's because they're out in their community being who they are, living their truth, and people know about them. And that kind of brings me back to, for me, the importance of being stealth. I don't, I don't want my life to be in danger, so I don't go around telling people my business. The fact that I am passable and that I can go and get jobs and that I have no issue going to the restroom and that I have no issue meeting men, even though that that's not necessarily what I'm doing this for, it's, it's scary to know that if I was as blunt about it and had it on my sleeve, like I kind of want to, that I could be putting myself in danger. You talk about stealth and what you moved from where you were living and growing up to New England. Can you talk a little bit more about that decision and the life that you lived there? And, you, and it's interesting that you said that. And I want to do a follow-up question about you saying that you felt like you were being put back into the closet. Well, yeah. And I don't feel like I was personally being put back into the closet by the people around me. I feel like I made the conscious decision to put myself back in the closet by moving out there. I never originally looked at it as me running away. I looked at it as an opportunity for me to pursue greater things. I moved because there were better opportunities out there for modeling, which is what I was into and kind of doing 
as kind of a fun job or just a little cute way to make money. I wanted it to be serious, but in terms of all of the travel and the moving and everything like that, that wasn't really something that I was about, so to say. Being out in New England was a culture shock, to say the least. There, one, were not a lot of African-American or Black people there. And from what I knew, uh, there weren't any local trans people out there either. So I was literally out there by myself. I had no community to lean on. I had no one that I could tell, you know, that I was trans. So I was just living my trans life in stealth mode. I worked for Abercrombie & Fitch. I worked for Hooters. I worked for Express. I've had, I've worked in hotels. I've pretty much just been working my way through my life since I moved from San Diego to New England. I was in a relationship when I moved out there that quickly ended just because it was a very large age difference and we weren't really compatible and ended up being in a relationship with someone who I was closer in age with, very, very compatible with, and was in that relationship for six years. And this was the first straight boy that I had ever dated. Everyone else that I had been with had always identified as bisexual or gay. And these people knew me when I was in the midst of my transition from just a little gay boy to a trans woman of color. So for them, they still saw me as the very feminine gay boy and they wanted to be with me. But the more and more that my transition became real, the less and less they were attracted to me. And so this was the first time they had ever been with a actual straight male who was nothing but attracted to me. And that relationship lasted for six years. It ended abruptly and that was that is a story in it itself. Okay. <laughs> but I I've moved on and realized that my trans is my trans. Like I can't deny who I am. And he had the ability to say that I trapped him because I didn't tell him right off of the bat. And I didn't want anybody to ever be able to say that again. And that was more so when I realized that, shit, I had really just put myself back in the closet. I used to be this very vocal person. I won a title when I lived out here. I was Miss Teen Gay San Diego 2003. It was this huge to-do. It was a really big deal. And my name is still pretty well known in my city 10, 11 years later. But knowing that I pretty much did that to myself, going from someone who was very active in the community, very vocal about who she was, to someone who didn't tell anybody that nobody knew, it just kind of bothered me. And then right before I left, all of the speculation started to happen. I had been out of a job that was paying for my insurance for a while and had to kind of put the bill on my insurance myself and wasn't able to afford insurance. And so I had been off of my hormones for about three years. And all of a sudden, everybody started to speculate what's going on with Polly. Polly's a man, this, that, and the other. And I have no shame at all. If anybody were to ever approach me and ask if I was transgendered or if I was a man at one point in my life, I would be 100% honest with them, lay it out, 
how it is, let them know I am a trans woman of color, this is my truth. But no one had the gall to do that. It was just a bunch of behind-the-back, backbiting, talking, rumor mill kind of stuff that was going on. And again, I had to point the finger back to myself. I can't be mad at any one person for doing what is expected in human nature. If I had prepped all of these people who I knew and called friends at the time of us meeting, then six years, seven years down the line, you know, these questions wouldn't be asked, these rumors wouldn't be being spread and things of that nature. And it just kind of reminded me the importance of holding to your truth and not hiding from who you are. My experience in New England was just that. It was an experience. It was a culture shock. It was beautiful while it lasted. And I'm glad to say that it's over. And I'm glad to say that I learned a lot from it about myself and about people. And do you feel like it informed the work that you're doing now, the kind of activism you're trying to really be involved in and, and, and share with the community? Yes, I actually do, because the more and more I was alone in it, the more and more I had to reach out and start to study again to see what was going on in my community, because I didn't have anybody around me who would share those things. And everything that I saw was negative. Everything that I saw was negative, from the celebrity interactions with trans sex workers, these women outing these celebrities that they were with, you know, for being with trans. Like, it just, it painted such an ugly picture for our community. And looking at it, it's almost like, well, no wonder people have such a feel some type of way about us. No wonder people look at us as just home wreckers or people that are stealing, you know, boyfriends, husbands, sons, things like that. You know, when in reality, we're sought after. I read an article the other day and it was speaking about how trans women trap people. They call us trapped. Like, that's a term that's actually used. I have been called a trap, and I don't appreciate that because I'm not trapping a guy for money. I'm not tricking anybody into thinking that I'm something that I'm not. I'm living my truth. If you come and approach me and ask me, I'm going to be honest with you. If you come and me personally just start hitting on me randomly at a bar, I'm throwing you nothing but shade. Maybe I'll take this drink. Nine times out of ten, I can afford my own. So there's no reason for me to interact with you. You don't know what's going on with me, and I don't want you to find out because I like living. But there are too many people in our community who are, in fact, trapped that will go to a straight bar, let a guy hit on them, get all the way to their house, and all of a sudden it's, oh, okay, well, this is what it is. So if you want it, I'm going to need you to give me X, Y, Z amount of dollars and I'll keep my mouth shut about the fact that you were with a trans woman. And that's just disgusting to me. I want there to be positive things about us. I want to shine the light on the stealth trans women that are out there without outing anybody, obviously, but there are women in our community, trans women who work nine to five, who have real jobs, who struggle to make ends meet without laying on their back and giving up the cookie for a couple thousand. 
And that couple thousand always looks good. It always sounds great, but where's your integrity at the end of the day? And there are women like us who hold their integrity. And those are the women that I want to showcase. Those are the women that I want to shine light on. Those are the women that I want to talk about. Those are the women that I, whose stories I look to find so that I can share them with my followers on Twitter, with my friends on Facebook, to show that I'm not the only one out there like me. There are others, and we need to be respected as any other person who is working a nine-to-five and making ends meet and living their life and being as fabulous as they can be. Why am I looked at as a horrible stereotype because there are so many people out there creating that horrible stereotype. I'm not automatically that. And it always offends and hurts me when that's how people look at me automatically right off of the bat when I tell them that I'm transgendered. So I really hope that, you know, the outreach that I can do is more enlightening to the cisgender community and the LGBT community. Because like I had said earlier, when we were speaking on trans envy, that's something that hits the LGBT community as well as the straight community. They feel it just as much as straight people do towards us, and they don't need to. We're all walking our truth. We're all living our lives the way that we want to be living them. There's no need to be envious of each other. We need to congratulate and celebrate each other, and I don't feel like that's happening enough. So it's, I I mean, I'm hearing two things from you. One is that, you know, just being a trans woman your occupation doesn't necessarily have to include sex work. It can, but it's something that you want to highlight that there are other occupations that you are just as qualified, educated, and experienced to do. And the second thing that I'm hearing is that relationships seem like they could be challenging for trans women. They are challenging, yeah. What are your challenges with relationships? My challenges with relationships are basically guys wanting a fantasy. They want something that they don't have regularly, something that's not normal. And then when they're done with the fantasy, they're done with you. And so it's a lot of just being used, really, which is hurtful. No one likes to have someone treat you really, really, really nice, tell you all these beautiful things, tell you how beautiful you are, and then when it comes down to it, the fantasy's over, and they're done. They've moved on. None of the words that they've had, none of the words that they've said to you have meant anything. They've gotten what they've wanted, and they're, they're over it now. And that's what I've experienced. And it makes you hard. It makes you a very closed off person to relationships and that's something that I've always tried to not allow to happen but you know that situation can only happen so much before you just harden yourself to it altogether. For you and your experience do you feel that your possibility has been useful or not useful? I feel like it's been useful for me in terms of work and personal relationships, not necessarily romantic relationships. Yeah, everybody wants to be friends with a really pretty girl. So I make friends really easily. Everybody thinks that, oh, well, 
she's so sweet, she's so pretty, this, that, and the other, and, you know, I'm totally fine allowing people to think that way. Um, and in terms of jobs, it's been very easy because I, I'm passable. Um, I had my name changed, that's public record, and it was changed from a male name to a female name, so it's automatically assumed when that information comes on a background check that I am trans. But after you've already interviewed with me and you want to give me a job, you know, you've already gone through that step. Once the background check comes through and there really isn't anything negative on it, I pretty much have already, I have the job and there's nothing that they can do about it except for notify HR that they do, they will be having a trans person working there and this and the other. And so the fact that I present myself very well, I'm not, I hope I don't sound like a hood rat. I don't look like one either. Um, I dress well. You know, I speak well. I'm very presentable. And so that's something that I use when it comes to work. I nail interviews on a regular basis when it comes to work. My job skill set is customer service. So being a very friendly, bubbly, outgoing person is very, very helpful for me to find jobs. And so those are the things that being passable has helped me on. I feel in terms of romantic relationships, I don't think me being passable has helped me or hurt me. Actually, that's not true. I feel like it has hurt me more than anything in the term of relationships. You know, I, I we're coming to the close of this, and I really want to thank you for all the information that you've really shared and and our listeners who are going to be listening to this, I mean, if you could tell them maybe one thing that you would want them to take away from, from hearing this podcast, what would, you, what would you want them to take away? Live in your truth. It doesn't matter what anybody has to say about you. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We, as long as we're together in this, we'll make it. And living your truth is the most important thing that anybody should take away from this. Be who you are. Don't be afraid of anybody making you feel bad about it. You are who you are, and God made you beautifully. Community Exchange is a product of the Capacity Building Team at Asian and Pacific Islander Wellness Center. For more information on the services offered by both our team and our agency, please visit us online at www.apiwellness.org.